Unleashed podcast episode two. Thank you for joining us, Jordan Pritchett. You were here episode one. Let's run it back. Your mum shared it on two. Facebook. She did. She was very proud. Strong I don't response. She'll be proud with your dress sense this time. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Actually, no, she likes the docs, maybe. Well, um, I can say about 90% of our viewership was from your mum sharing it on Facebook, <laughs> I imagine. So hopefully. Shot mum. <laughs> Hopefully Julie Pritchett and her friends get a kick out of our uh, first guest officially. Thank you for joining us, Jordan Kahu. Thanks for having me. I'm, a, I'm a, uh, pleased to be here. And you pull those shoes off, bro. So Thank you, Jake. look good. I've had very mixed responses. Um, the reason I am dressed a bit more formally is because I take my life and job serious compared to some, <laughs> other, some other guys. Um, I've also recently turned 35. But, um, yeah, very mixed responses about the uh, apparel. I had some important meetings this morning. So I thought I'd flow into this. Also, try and feel like an official agent. Um, comfortable like that, bro. Yeah. It suits you. Fake it till you make it. But, um, yeah, no, feeling good. Looking good. Um, speaking of looks, physical appearance... Uh, the pink hair, George, mm. or hair in Australia. I said hair. Hair, hair. Yeah, pink hair. <laughs> I had the Lunathon on um, Sunday, which is the triathlon up in Malulabar that we do every year, um, in memory of um, Luna, who was one of our close mates' daughter who passed away in 2020. So every year we do this triathlon in memory of her, and, um, yeah, we deck, we're decked out in all pink, and, um, yeah, I thought I'd just do hair pink as well to match the outfit the kits look good eh full full body tri suit yeah that's sick man first year we were wearing these black and red singlet things um and then yeah timmy and jess organized those suits for the last two years and they're sick yeah a bit tighter this year than it was last year but yeah still good yeah and shout out to tim and jess martinger um who obviously they have a foundation or how yep. does that all work with the Lunathon? Yeah, so after Luna passed, they um, started the Luna Capri Foundation, um, which help um, other families in similar situations. Um, so they do lots of, um, you know, they, they provide lots of books and teddy bears to kids going or families going through tough times. Um, and yeah, they just help out anyone who's in need. So they've, they've kind of turned their devastating loss into something positive um, into helping others. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good initiative to support. Yeah, yeah, no, doing doing awesome things. And I, I was at um, Touch Football Nationals, National Touch League on the weekend. Our other mutual good friends um, through Touch Footy, that's how we've all connected initially, um, Lauren and Drum, Dave O'Muir. Mm. I know in the past I've had to race back from Coffs Harbour NTL and get to I, I don't think they were able to make it this year but um yeah obviously it's such a good cause all the friends family getting around it so yeah that's good I, they probably could have made it this year because I don't think Jummy made the finals didn't he oh, yeah. so they had a bit more time to make it up <laughs> but, yeah yeah we'll have it we might have them on we'll have a have a little chat about that yeah. um but to see drum with pink hair he pink hat maybe he, he didn't even do the blonde when we, when we all initially did the blonde, the first time round, I don't think he, he, did he, he was the oh only one that didn't do it. I think he, I think he actually did. Did he? Yeah. I've got I pictures of it. Yeah. Okay, he must have. I've I got lots remember. of pictures of drum. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's a bit worrying. Yeah, it is. 
Yeah. Um, and I wanted to talk to you to kick us off a little bit about touch footy. Obviously, um, like I said, we have a bit of a niche and a big connection to touch football through yeah. our management. We've seen a lot of players come into professional sevens, NRL, NRLW, let alone even other random codes with um, athletics, AFL, with strong touch football backgrounds. Yeah. Um, your kids, two of your three kids. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's your youngest son's name? Jax. He's, he's not old enough to play, but nah. um, your kids are getting involved. Yeah. So what's your um, background and what are your thoughts with touch footy since you've been back in it as a parent the last few years? Yeah, so I, I grew up playing touch from a, from a young age. Started playing a bit more seriously um, and competitively when I was about 11 or 12. Um, I think yeah, well, I was playing in the under-20s, under-21s when I was about 13, me and one of my other mates. Um, so from a young age, I knew you know, how much skill I could bring across to rugby when I was playing touch. So, um, yeah, throughout my um, career, I always kept a close eye. I didn't want to go and play touch because I was always worried about getting hurt. Um, there's a funny story about me and the other coach of my daughter's team, how I played my last touch game um, with him because he, he blew up at me and I was like, okay, this is the last touch game I'll play. Like, I'm coming to, <laughs> coming to help out and, and have, have some fun. Um, and then, yeah, 10 years later down the track, our daughters are in the same team, which was, was so funny. Hopefully but he's not coaching her. No, no, no. He's a different man now, I think. Um, but, yeah, it's just... I think for any young kid growing up that definitely wants to head into rugby or AFL even or um, league, I feel like touch footies can teach you so much. Um, just on the skill side of it, it's, yeah, it's, it's such a fast-paced game and I feel like especially ball makers, uh, ball, ball players will take a lot out of playing touch growing up. And yeah, I just, when in the end of 2020, we started a family team with a... There's like seven or eight of our young girls, and we put them into under eights. And yeah, my daughter started young under eights, but five, yeah, five, yeah. I think Jayla might have been, yeah, might have even been four, turning five, um, playing in the under eights. And yeah, they just all loved it. So that was the reason they first started getting into it. Um, And yeah, now Jayla's just a weapon. Yeah, Yeah, she's a little gun. Yeah, I think. and shout out to Gold Coast Touch. Obviously, um, I've just finished working there full time. Geordie's still working there, heavily involved. And you guys have had um, a bit to do with the community. Mm. I think there are the skill aspects. Um, another aspect that wouldn't be spoken about much was what I recognised is getting mentally prepared. So you go to a tournament, you play three or four games a day. Mm. And you have to get yourself right physically and mentally to get up for the games. And I really found when I went back to rugby after playing so much touch, that actually helped my prep so much for rugby because usually um, you play one game a week and you only have to get yourself mentally there to prepare for that one game. But it was like something mentally for me that I could almost flick a switch I felt a little bit earlier or a little bit better than I could earlier on in my footy career because you have to get yourself, yeah, physically and mentally right multiple times over a tournament. We're talking up to 12 times, yeah. you know, instead of one time a week. And yeah. none of those preparations are ever the same, you know, like no. compared to like day one on like the Friday of like a three, 
three-day tournament compared to, you know, the last day on the Saturday. There's, yeah, none of the same. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to touch on was how good the community is. Like your experience there with Jayla, friendships, um, coaching, fre- you know, stuff like that. How's that been? Yeah, I think, yeah, that's, that's probably another point I didn't touch on, but that's definitely a huge part of why the kids love it so much. And that was a huge part of why I loved it when I was growing up. Um, yeah, and I feel like Jayla's more excited to go and mingle with everyone than she is to actually play. Playing's just a, <laughs> you know, something that comes along with getting to mix and mingle with everyone there. So, yeah, the community down there is um, yeah, so lovely. Everyone down there, you know, family. You've got Paulie on the little cart, picking the kids up and taking them for a little drive around all the fields and stuff like that. It's just, um, you know, memories that the kids will kind of, you know, live on with forever and, that's probably where the cycle continu- um, starts as, as a young kid growing up and then, you know, remembering those experiences when they were young and then putting their kids into it and that's just kind of, you know, the, the community that's built down there. It's, um, it's such a lovely place to, you know, be be at weekly. Yeah. And the cycle of touch, you're still running around in Div 1 up there, mate, with the Yeah, the nah, not this year, I don't think. My knees have been battling, you know, they've been... Give me a bit of grief over the last, you know, few months. So I might have to pull the pin. I wasn't doing much anyway. I was literally catching a ball and putting it down. So I feel like they could find anyone to do that. Couple of intercepts. Bully had a couple of intercepts as well. Eh? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd get the intercept though, and I'd be too afraid to open up. So I'd be looking around straight away for someone. <laughs> so there's, there's no point in me being there. Putting the ball down and sledging me—that was the two <laughs> main things you were pretty good at. Yeah, it was uh, the thing I loved about it was I was probably having the most fun out of my whole team. You know, <laughs> it was just um, yeah, enjoying it for the love of it again. That's what I loved about it. It was it was good because those boys were quite serious, and then then yeah, me was out there spraying you know, bully or spraying Bailey or spraying you like just yeah, it was so much fun. Yeah, With the balance. Yeah, yeah. Mark. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, the good thing is your whole team would get on the back of that and, yeah, everyone's going at me. Yeah, which is, yeah it was fun. Now, shout out to, I think we mentioned them, Drum and Laws and the Misfits yep. Club. Um, I think a big reason why Misfits aren't playing Div 1 this year is they got scared of our team, um, <laughs> Salmon, just overpowering the, the Gold Coast Touch Association. We were coming to work in progress, weren't yeah. we? Yeah, yeah. So, um yeah, no, that's awesome. And obviously you touched a little bit. You played early on in New Zealand. Um, you grew, grew up in New Zealand, went to Wellington College. Yep. Um, big Hurricanes fan, big All Blacks fan growing up. Um, when did the sort of dream to become a pro- professional rugby player start for you? As long as I can remember. I think, yeah, from a very young age, my dad was a huge All Blacks fan. So I don't think, I, I can't remember any time that I didn't want to be a professional rugby player. All I wanted to be was an All Black. That was, yeah, that was all I wanted to be for my whole childhood. Um, Primary school? Everything, yeah. Since you can remember? Since I can remember, everything. Like, that's all That's all I wanted to be. Didn't want to be anyone else. Um, and, yeah, I always remember at school, you know, teachers, well, what ha- what would ha- what happens if you don't become an All Black? And I would just, you know, it would just be in one ear out the other. I'd be like, well. I'm going to be. Yeah, not an option. Yeah, there's no option. Like, I think a lot of my childhood was based around that, and I think that's why I was so well behaved as well. I had good parents that I was obviously um, didn't want to let down and didn't want to get in trouble. But a lot of my behaviour when I was a kid was based around me being an all black, and I feel like even in school, a lot of my decision making 
um, when it came to, you know, anything, homework. I'd always worry about, you know, what how it would tarnish my career as a professional, as an all-black pretty much. So, um, yeah, as long as I can remember, that's all I wanted to be. Did you mingle with any other sports, like early days in school, or was it always just, just rugby? Nah, yeah, I played cricket, um, cricket, um, basketball, um, what else, athletics, did those three. I, yeah... I was I was okay at all of them. The best other sport that I was probably um, good at was was athletics. Yeah. Um. Until yeah, I had a a meet where I burnt my the bottom of my feet, and from that moment on, I just I stopped going because they had a they had a rule over there that you weren't allowed to wear um, spikes until you're ten, which makes sense. But even on the like turf tracks and on hot days and stuff, your feet. So would you're just on rubber athletics tracks, yeah. bare feet, yeah, middle yeah, of summer, so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's New Zealand for you. Were they breaking <laughs> records over there? Well, yeah, it was. Yeah, so this one, one Colgate's so was like a North Island champs. Um, I think it was after the two hundred. Like I won the two hundred, and I sat down on the ground straight away. My feet were just boiling. Like I could feel them. And I looked at them, and they had these big blisters like over the balls of my feet and and over each toe. And um, one of the young like um, officials walked past, and she seen that. She said, "Oh my god!" And then she. Had like a like a slurpy ice block, but it was like in a cup. She goes here, yeah, and she put it straight on it, and it just stuck straight to it, and it was just the worst thing ever. But yeah, literally from that moment on, I kind of um, yeah grew away from athletics, and then yeah, everything, all my eggs were just in the rugby basket. And and I'm not racist when I say that's New Zealand for you, because I grew up <laughs> <laughs> till I was 13 in New Zealand till the year 2000, and it really interests me because you're born 91. Yeah. Massive rugby fan, come 01, 02, that little period, mm. the Hurricanes had Umanga, Lomu, yeah. Cullen, like Nonu came in later, yeah. David Holwell, no one really know who yeah. he is, but yeah. they had him too. Um, so obviously massive inspiration for mm. you. You're a spr- like sprinting naturally was your athletics event of choice, was it? Yeah, yeah, 100, 200, 400, long jump. That was my four. Every time I went to like nationals or anything, those are the the four I'd do. Yeah, yeah. And and for me, growing up in Christchurch, like we Crusaders were so good through that period. We'd go to the street parades. Mm. I'd be welcoming them at the airport when they came back. And like I was another Kiwi kid, much less talented and much slower than you, <laughs> who had the same dream of yeah. like being an All Black. It gets so instilled in us. Mm. So like I remember we moved here oh one, and I've. Friday nights would be Hurricanes games pretty much all the time because they were just the team, mm. you know, that you wanted to watch. Was that a big inspiration for you? Did you imagine yourself in the Hurricanes jersey? And yeah. who did you kind of, through high school, through that period, who did you kind of model your game off? Um, yeah, they, they were definitely huge inspirations. Christian Cullen was my favourite player growing up. And because I was quite small growing up, um, he, you know, like he was someone I tried to model off a lot. Um, just his footwork, his pace and, and everything. I had the Jonah Lomu haircut though, so like I tried to have the Jonah Lomu swagger but play like Christian Cullen. So um, you had the little tuft at the yeah, front so and full bald. Yeah, full bald and then it was blonde too, like it was a little streaked blonde. Got to bring back a pink one, surely. I used to gel it up, yeah, um, for ages. I had it for a good, like, yeah. Right. period of time there were eight people in the world rocking that haircut at that time <laughs> and you were one of them <laughs> I know, I <laughs> takes know. a brave man yeah um but yeah that was that was, those are i love tana umonga 
Um, Alama Edemia was at the Canes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just a diehard Canes supporter. I think either the, the Canes or the Lions made the finals one year. Me and my brother were standing on the street, like, toot for the Lions or toot for the Hurricanes or something like that. Like, we were proper diehards. Um, and that was an era that was just, you know, crazy talented, especially at the Canes. Probably the best era to never win anything, that, that area. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I think the year 2000... They won the MPC in Christchurch because I went to the grand final. That must and, have been the one. And I remember they won. I'm moving to Australia like two weeks later and my uncle goes to me, have a good look around because you might not see this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> As a 13-year-old kid, we've just, Canterbury have just lost and I'm just bawling my eyes oh. out like, oh, thank you for the yeah memories. Yeah, <laughs> Only good memories. That must have been the one they were holding the signs for. Yeah. It must have been the year. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, so um, Wellington College, I'm really interested in um, your pathway. From what I understand, you weren't the schoolboy star through most of college that you did become eventually when you moved to Australia. Yeah. Um, so talk us through a little bit about New Zealand rugby, um, high school rugby, and then your pathway through college. Yeah. Yeah, so I started off at Havali High School, which was a co-ed school. It wasn't that good. I think they were Div 3, maybe, the first 15 um, at the time. Um, and my brother ended up moving to Wellington College because he was a bit older than I am um, for rugby. And I had to wait a year um, until I could get in through him. Um, and so that's when I went to Wellington College. And at high school there, the hardest things. If you like, if you don't get much game time in your school team, you can't just go and play club footy on the weekend. There's no, there's no club footy, at all. No, so uni- no junior club rugby. No. So once you get to high school, it stops until Colts. Yeah. Just high school rugby. So all the focus is in high school rugby. So if, yeah, if you don't, if you don't make the best team or you sit on the bench, you're you're not playing any any footy. Um, and so my first year at Wellington College, we won the under-15s national tournament um, up in Tauranga. We had a yeah, pretty pretty good team. We had um, Lima Sopoanga was our first five. He ended up being an all-black. We grew up our whole lives together, so that was part of the reason that I moved to Wellington College as well. Um, and then in my second year of college, I was in and out of the first 15. I was quite young. I hadn't really matured, and I was competing with you know, 18-year-olds when I was 15. Um, so looking back now, if I just, you know, was patient enough, I would have got in there the following year. But um, as I said, I was just a young kid wanting to play footy. And because I didn't get that fix on the weekends through club, um, there was times where, I, you know, I grew up my whole childhood just being, you know, the, the best of my age group. And then when it got to a level where I wasn't playing in my age group anymore, you know, I kind of was a bit impatient with that. Um, and so I was in and out of the first 15, sitting on the bench, um, playing second 15, you know, predominantly most of the year. Um, and that just didn't sit right with me. Like, I just I just didn't like being in the second best team. Um, and then there was one tournament where I was in the first 15 and um, we ended up winning the whole tournament. But I think I got like two or three minutes out of the whole tournament. It's like four or five games. And I was just, I just had enough, eh? I just, I was, yeah, I was just dying to play. 
um, and I loved big games as well. And as a final, I don't think I got on or anything. And I just remember everyone ran on and celebrated at the end of the game. And I just walked straight up to the the, um, the change rooms, and I was just like so upset. Um, and I literally got my stuff and told my dad to pick me up and he picked me up and took me home. And I think he could see how frustrated I was because he didn't say anything to me. Usually he's like, get back down there, like go and celebrate with the team. But I think he understood where I was coming from. And that was kind of the like last moment where I was so committed to being who I wanted to be for my whole life. Um, I think, I, I think I started thinking like, shit, this might not actually happen. Um, what's my other options and then that was kind of you know the transition into rugby league yeah <clears throat> see this really interests me because um i really love the stories of kids who have talent that aren't getting the right opportunity for them who may need to be in a different situation or have a support network making sure they're telling them the right things and i think that's mm. something we're passionate about as a company. Mm. Um, did you have, even though you were getting rejected through those times, because what, were you 17 by the time you were like, oh, I'm done here? No, nah, I would have been 15. Oh, wow. 15, yeah. 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 So did you have quite a deep self-belief that you knew you had more in you that wasn't being recognised at that yeah, time? Yeah, I knew I was good enough. I just, yeah, I felt like it was a, it was just an age thing. That was literally it. There was these guys that were on their last year of college who were being played. They were men. They were probably more consistent. That was probably something that I lacked with, with age as well. I wasn't as consistent as they were, which obviously comes with age and experience. Um, but, yeah, it was. I knew I did belonged in that first 15, and that's why going back to playing the second 15 which just never felt right, just never felt like it hit the spot for me, so... Yeah, I always always wanted to be in the best team, in the best school, in the best place, and yeah, that was that was something I struggled with. Um, you have an older brother. Mm. He w was he at Wellington College at the same time. Um, I think for one year, maybe. Yeah. Or he no, I think he left. I think he had left already. Yeah. Because it seems like, um, and we'll get to S30 and what you're knowing, uh, doing now, but it mm. seems like half of Wellington College have come through yeah. the doors of, of the gym you run now. So yeah. I've met like quite a few guys that, that you grew up with. Yeah. Um, your dad, Mr. Kahu or Mr. Kahu Kurunui, is that yeah, your full last yeah, name? Yeah, that's a full last name, yeah. Um, thanks. Uh, yeah, no dramas. Um, for getting that right. But um, <laughs> what was he... He was obviously a massively influential figure. Mm. Um, he had two talented footy sons. Any other siblings? No, nah, just us, yeah. So just you two. Um, what was his background? What was he like as a role model for you through high school? Was he helpful? We know some parents can be, um, and I'm sure you reflect on this heaps now, some parents can be full on, mm. see it as an extension of themselves, you know, their, their kid's yeah. career. So... What was your um, dad's role like in your life and your career? And did you have kind of a good support network helping you, especially when you had the doubts through school? Yeah, um, mum, mum and dad were so supportive. Dad coached me um, from when I first started all the way up until college. Um, and then he coached my first year at college at Harvey High School. But he was he was the hardest coach. Like, he had... And like he wouldn't just he probably ha was harder on me than anyone else but 
um yeah he was a he was a tough coach he put us through uh, like our paces you know we were doing fitness sessions like young as um and yeah he just didn't take any bullshit like if anyone was talking while he was talking like you're going for a run and the whole team was going for a run um and then yeah on the sidelines screaming just like just real real tough especially um yeah on my brother and I and I think you know a lot of my resilience came from that um I was a bit of a sook when I was a kid so if I did like it, something did happen um I think that's just part of being a younger brother you just you sook until you get your way <laughs> um and yeah there'll be times where I'd be hurt on the field and he just you know he'd either not look at me or scream at me to get up um so yeah like I got a lot lot to thank my my old man for he was always at every single game no matter where it was he didn't miss a game at all Amazing. yeah at any game so reps you know school everything I think he always made sure he had a job where he could always come and support no matter where we were playing um that was yeah, looking back now even me missing Jalis touch games I know how hard it is uh, would have been for him to do that um but yeah, it was it was crazy because my whole childhood, he was that real tough figure, and it wasn't until I properly made it, he just completely changed. Like I think he was just like, okay, I've done my thing now. Um, he never used to talk to me. He never spoke to me about games. He never gave me any like um, advice or anything. He was just like, you know, like I don't know. He probably kind of just handed me on he knew there was professionals looking after me now but that was kind of a weird thing I was always you know going to him after games expecting either a spray or like you know like or, or something but nothing like it was just it was crazy how just all of a sudden it, it just changed I think yeah he dedicated so many years of his life to to mine that when I did eventually make it he was just like you know he was just like step back and let the pros do the do the work but yeah, both him and my mum were yeah, so supportive. My mum as well. She used to get me up before school, take me down to the field and, and you know, train before school, give me home showered and then send me to school. Like, my parents were both dedicated. I think I think they understood that from a young age I was super dedicated as well. So they just wanted to, like, nurture that. They didn't obviously push me. Like, whenever I said, I don't want to do this anymore, um, they'd always make sure they first they'd tell me, you know, why like that asked me why um but then they would always support that decision like I remember when I first wanted to stop athletics I was the national like champ of my age and I didn't want to do it anymore and they supported that which would have been tough for them um but yeah both my parents had played a huge role in both my brothers and I's um you know footy career growing up Sure, you would have played a lot of backyard footy with your brother. Oh, bro, so many biggest fights, <laughs> the biggest fights. Do you reckon but that taught you anything with like characteristics with footy, like the resilience or anything like that as well? Yeah, definitely. I think because he was always a few years older than me, I'd always lose unless it was a, ra a running race. Um, just strength-wise, he'd just always beat me. So, yeah, I think yeah, I, I learned a lot of resilience from him as well, which um, yeah was was important in my career. Um, there's a bit of an advantage for the younger siblings too is, is versing that older mm. sibling, hey? And so when you're so used to playing someone older, faster, bigger, stronger, yep. and then you go back to your own age group, um, there, is a, there is an advantage there, do you think? Yeah, definitely. I, I um, would always try to jump in his games. I'd always try to fill in when they were short in numbers. Um, I think I played 
and his one of his games um, when I was like three years old. I just wanted to be him for mo- like for most of our childhood. So yeah, it's definitely. Uh, I don't know what if there's a stat or anything, but I feel like a lot of younger siblings, um, are, you know, so lucky that they do have older siblings to compete with on the daily. There might there might be a stat somewhere there. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll flip it. I'm the eldest mm. sibling out of three. My my younger brother, and definitely one of his best character traits is like persistence, just with anything. So sure. I would have I would have bullied him a lot as a kid. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Ash, if you're watching, but yeah, I definitely think yeah, it makes a massive difference being the younger one, just yeah. with yeah the persistence and just like constantly having to earn what you what you get. I guess yeah, yeah, so true. Yeah, my little brother Mike, he is an absolute rat bag, but we loved cricket and rugby too, and um. He was such a brat that he'd say to me, oh, we're not playing unless I bat, like playing <laughs> cricket. So he, of course, turned into like quite a class batter and I was a bowler <laughs> no in the way. end because that's all we ended up yeah. doing. Yeah. Leg spin, what, what were we? Fast oh, I'd say medium. I thought I was fast, but probably medium pace <laughs> in the end. Um, but those lessons, when, when you're talking about Jayla's touch and your kid's sport now, um, do you reflect much on that? I, I mm. love seeing your parents still support your kids at, yeah. at Touch Footy, which is so lovely to mm. see. But obviously, um, you know, you having gone through the pathway you have, having had the parents you did, like how does that affect your parenting as a sports dad now? Yeah, there's so many times where I I like hear myself saying something to Jayla and I'm like, just reminds me so much of my dad. Because <laughs> I'm quite tough on Jayla because I know how good she is and I know how good she can be. Just like in anything, she's got that drive as well. So she, she needs that kind of direction and push. Whereas Jude, I feel like his he's just completely not interested. He's just there for fun. Yeah. He's not the most athletic kid in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm like completely different, you know. And, and it's kind of weird because usually dads are harder on their boys and um, stuff like that. Whereas like you know, Jayla does something wrong. I'm like I'm yelling at her or she, I tell her to come off the field. I'm like. Like I give her like a half little spray, whereas Jude like got angry at me for laughing at him one <laughs> one touch came like it's yeah it's crazy because yeah they're just such different kids and I um yeah I think Jude's a bit more of like of a creative so yeah. I think he'll kind of get into that side of things whereas Jayla I just want to make sure that um if she's good at anything I just want to I just want to make sure she's focused and she learns how to be better at that at that one thing so um yeah i definitely see some of my dad and myself when it comes to jayla especially yeah yeah i don't remember my dad laughing at me at all <laughs> on the field yeah. so yeah i, I don't think know um i think that's good advice for any parent um especially coming from a non-parent like myself plenty to dish out i'm sure i'll learn my lessons but um just your kids obviously have that internal drive you yourself had that drive yourself and then your parents just supported, mm. you know, you. So um, it sounds like with Jayla, with Jude, with Jax, whatever they're passionate about, mm. you want them to pursue fully and yeah. you're just going to support whatever yeah. you know, they want to do. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's like it's the hardest thing about being a parent is trying to nurture your kid into – you don't want to mould them so much. You, I always refer to it as a flower. You just want to give them water – um, you don't want to, you know, redirect them or anything. You just want to let them grow naturally. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm just doing my best as, as I can on the go. Google helps me a lot. Um, but, yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job with, with the three of them 
Um, I'm, I'm lucky I've got a missus that, you know, is able to, um, you know, look after the kids when I'm working so much. But, yeah, I just want to, I don't know what I'm doing, to be honest. I'm just I'm just trying my best as a parent. And, um, yeah, the, lots of people give us um, you know, a lot of appreciation for our parenting towards our kids. So I, I guess we're doing some kind of good job. As long as they grow up respectful and... They treat everyone the same. Um, I, don't, I couldn't care what they do, to be honest. Yeah. And shout out to your wife, Jess, holding mm. down the fort. Um, obviously, both of you guys, and I must affirm both of you, like you've got big followings um, through the stuff that you've done and are doing, um, but two of the loveliest, most humble people that we've come across at, at Gold Coast Touch. Um, Jess, you know, if you follow her or you guys on Instagram, I love the insights and the honesty that she provides through mm-hmm. her socials, yeah. um, that you guys obviously are beautiful people, but like you're real people mm. as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that's so, so cool. Um, so yeah, just affirm you guys, I, you were talking how you were quite soft when you were young and I know, um, especially Jude and Jacks. <laughs> when I've seen them around touch, they're like it's the loveliest boys. Like, hi, they'll just walk up to anyone. Hi, yeah. bye. Um, <laughs> Were you a little bit like that with Jude? You mentioned he's a little bit softer-hearted. Is mm. that kind of what you were like as well? Yeah, I think I was a little bit, probably a little bit more cheeky than he was. Yeah. Um, he's here. He's a boy I've never met. He He's slowly coming out of his shell now, getting a little bit more character. Well, not character, but a little bit more cheek. He was so, I, I don't know where he got it from, because both Jess and I will, like, if we're upset, we'll, you'll know about it. Mm. Like, we're respectful and kind to everyone, but... You know, if you let us down, you'll hear about it. Whereas Jude would just let, you know, I don't know, he'd just let people walk all over him. He'd let other kids come up and take whatever he had. Um, do anything for Jayla. Yeah, do anything. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's 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 crazy. All three kids are completely different. Jayla and Jax are probably the most similar. Um, and Jude's just, yeah, he's a different kid, man. He's yeah, just the nicest, kindest, politest kid that I've ever met. Especially for a boy to be like that. It's... Um, crazy yeah. i'm super lucky yeah yeah um so jess you guys met in school then you moved from wellington college from wellington to kebra park on the gold coast mm. um where we are now we're all gold coast based for for those who don't know um obviously there's two parts there i really want to find out more about how did that come about um what age were you and then the transition of life for you and jess young couple making such a big move at a young age. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Jess and I, we met when, I think we were 15, 15. Um, but we didn't start dating until just when I was about to leave. Um, and we both had one year left of college. So we just said, oh, we'll see how we go. Um, and Jess was going to move over, which was a huge commitment when we'd only kind of just really started um, dating. Um, so we finished the year of school We got through that year um, Which was tough I was home a lot Which kind of helped Jess and I um, it was, I was home for bad reasons A few funerals I was, I think I was home for like three funerals But Jess and I got to spend a lot of time together as well Which was good for us um, And yeah, the end of 2008 um, Jess finished school And just was committed yeah she said she was moving over a few of her mates moved over as well so she um flattered with them for a few months and then 
yeah, basically since then it's just been us two. Um, the hardest thing at the beginning was we're both teenagers going through the party scene and, you know, all of that scene and we were just so immature. Um, but the best thing for us was no matter what, you know, all the arguments and everything we had, all we had was just each other. So there'd be nights we'd be, like, sleeping in other rooms and we'd always come out and meet in the lounge or something and we'd just, we'd fix it. We'd always just kind of seem to get over things because we kind of had no one else to help us. If we were back in New Zealand, I probably would have went to my family, she would have went to hers, we probably wouldn't have spoken for weeks and then, you know could have been all over but because we only had each other we kind of always had to uh, fix things um so yeah I've been so lucky to have found her so early on as well you know lots of people you know go through life and it's not till they're a bit older until they find someone where I was you know I was I was set like from 15 I knew that she was the one Mm -hmm. um and it's crazy we've been through so many different seasons um and I feel like we've had to learn to like love different people because we've changed she's changed i've changed like um but yeah we we couldn't see life without each other everything we yeah it's crazy everything i've been through i did i didn't think that i would have got through any of it unless i had jess um especially lots through the footy career um there's a few like big you know um big downs that I, i just probably wouldn't have made it through without her she's just such a calm level head and she's always on my side, so no matter what, like I could, you know, speak badly about anyone. She's like, yeah, stuff them. Like, <laughs> yeah. she's always on my side. She's always got my back, no matter what it comes down to. She's just like, yeah, so she's good always to have that stability. Yeah, I, I've been so lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's awesome. Mm. Um, and how did you get recruited to school over in Australia? Um, so when. Going back to when I that first fifteen comp that I didn't play in and I and I walked off and we were celebrating. I one of my close mates' dads rang my dad the week after. My dad would never do this because he, I, I just think he understood that I just wanted to play. Um, that there was a league tournament coming up, uh, like a school league tournament, and I was like, "How am I going to play? Like my my school doesn't play league," um, and. The, the dad was like, oh, we're going to put a few boys from schools that don't play league and make our own team together. Um, and we ended up going to that. We, we ended up winning the whole comp. Like, there was just a few, like, good rugby boys in there. Um, we ended up winning it. Um, an agent was there. He picked me up. Um, and, yeah, so I ended up playing in this. Um, after that tournament, I ended up playing in this other national tournament, the NJCs in um, it was an under-16 tournament for Wellington, and Johnny Lomax was the coach of the, of, the, um, of our team. And, yeah, I just I just started loving it. Um, and then I think him and my manager just started talking. Um, he had connections at the West Tigers, and then the West Tigers um, yeah, signed me. They were keen. Um, they signed me on a scholarship, and they gave me, I think, three options of schools. And I think two were in Sydney, and one was on the Gold Coast. Kiba Park and there's like there's no way I was going to Sydney. Um, and did Kiba already have a bit of a rep in New Zealand? Like obviously yeah. Benji had come through there. Yeah, connected with the Tigers. Yeah, yeah. So they had a bit of a rep um, just from Benji. I, I only knew Benji and he was big at the time, 2007. Yeah, it was when I made the decision. Um, 
and yeah, that was that was kind of how it all happened and and how it all started. I was meant to move over and go into a, a homestay by myself um, when I was moving to Kibra Park, and um, just before I left, my parents split. Um, so my dad was like, "Well, instead of you going over by yourself, I'll come over with you." And then my brother was kind of like, oh, "I'm not staying here either, so I'll come as well." And um, that's how yeah, how it all happened. Yeah, mm. yeah, crazy. Um, so we transition. Obviously, how many years did you do at Kibra? Just the two. Just the two. Yeah. And in your final year, captain, mm. what was the national? You guys won the national comp. Yeah, it was called Arrive Alive back yeah. then. Yeah. And it was a big deal, hey? Yeah, real big deal. We we lost. Because it was, it was hard because the Queensland teams kind of get stitched up. There's only only one Queensland team goes through and three New South Wales teams. And I feel like both, like all years, Kibra or Palm Beach in my era would have been in the grand final together because mm. we were just so dominant. Um, they won it 2008. Um, and then, yeah, we won it in 2009, which was, yeah, such a such a sick experience. Yeah. And is that when the Broncos got in touch with you or was it in yeah. your last year of school? Um, yeah, so 08, my brother played in, was it 08? Yeah, 2008, my brother played in the under-20s, the inaugural year um, for the Broncos. So when he moved over, th- he signed up there. I don't know how he got a foot in the door. Um, and they made the grand final and they just lost. Um, so in 09, when it came down to it, um, I don't want to speak badly about the Tigers, but I didn't hear from them for two years. Like I didn't hear from them from when I got to Kibra until we started making the finals, and there was a bit of noise about our team and how I was playing. Um, Where's the Bronx? Which is crazy when yeah. you think they've brought you over from New Zealand. You're captain of Kibra Park in year twelve. Yeah. Next step, NYC was an under twenties national competition. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit bizarre. Yeah. Um, and then. Yeah, the Broncos found out that um, my brother had a little brother um, and then we obviously were playing good footy. I was playing good footy. We won the comp and um, they were interested. Um, and then, yeah, I had to make a, just make a tough call between, I think it was the Bronx, the Roosters and the Tigers. Um, and I, I just wanted to stay in Queensland. Jess and I were quite young at the, the stage and we would have been moving to Sydney on our own. Um, so I wasn't keen on doing that either. Um, so yeah, I rang Tim Sheens myself. I think this might have been before the our grand final. I spoke to my manager and I said I wanted to go to the Broncos. And he's like, okay, um, well, you're gonna ha- um, you're gonna have to tell the Tigers. And I said, yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell them myself. Like, just give me the number. And I think I rang Tim Sheens and told him, and he was he was disappointed. But um, yeah, I think. He just, you know, you never know what a young footy player is going to end up in going and achieving. So then he just cut cut his losses. And then we made the final and it came off the field and um, he was standing there and I was was shitting myself. eh? I was like, oh, no. But he just shook my hand, said congratulations. And, yeah, and then literally finished school and was in the Bronx under 20s a couple months later. Did Mm. you love the Gold Coast ever since you first moved here or was it a challenge in the first year or...? I was so homesick, but I feel like the first year I was r- real homesick, but that was because Jess wasn't here. Um, that was, yeah, that was probably the biggest thing. 
Um, but when, when she was here, it was, it was so much easier. Um, I was lucky to have my dad and my brother here as well. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty hard not to love the Gold Coast. But you didn't always love the Gold Coast. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> didn't. Not always. Uh, yeah. But you're enjoying it now. Obviously, yeah. you guys chose to settle here after mm. um, you lived in Brizzy while you were with the Broncos and you were looking at Sydney and obviously around your footy, but you guys, what made you choose to settle here anyway? Um, well, at the end of 2020, when I finished up at the Bronx, I I was still like keen on playing. Um, I was... Well, originally I wanted to stay at the Broncos um, and, yeah, I kind of got led on that I was going to be kept on there. So we ended up extending our lease up in Brisbane for an extra month um, and just stayed in Brisbane because I thought I was going to re-sign there um, and that didn't end up happening. So we had to move down the Gold Coast because um, I wasn't getting paid. I wasn't, you know, all of this stuff. Um, so we moved down the Gold Coast with my old man, which was meant to be two weeks. Um, and the only kind of options I had was Sydney or overseas in the UK, but I wasn't keen on both. Mm. We just had a baby in 2020. Um, I didn't want to go to UK because, you know, COVID was crazy over there. Um, I probably would have had to go over by myself. Um, and then Jess and the kids would have gone back to New Zealand, lived with her family. And I just, I just wasn't keen on on doing that so yeah that two weeks turned into two years and a a bit at my dad's place and yeah that's kind of we've only just moved out of there recently so it's been um crazy um i love the story of your career path and it's that's why it's so awesome to have you on here i think there's so many lessons that um anyone can draw from let alone young athletes as well um to say you've had some challenges would be a massive understatement mm. and you had to work your way through that. Um, there's so much for us to touch on, but a really interesting little point that you've mentioned before to me is that obviously the dream of being an All Black when you were younger, that dream never really subsided. So all through your NRL career, we're talking All-Stars, New Zealand Kiwis, Grand Finals, you still had the dream of being an All Black. Mm. Um how was that explored? Was it not explored enough? And, um, yeah, how did that look through your NRL career? How close were you to transitioning, especially at, at your peak? I mean, you played the grand final when you're 24 years old. So at that stage, you're not even at the peak of your powers sort of thing. Yeah. So I would have thought that would be a good time to move over or, yeah, what happened there? Uh, I think it was just the uh, – just. I don't know. I think I left it for too long. I got to a point where the money in the NRL was getting really good, and if I was to go back to the um, to New Zealand, I would have got a you know a sixth of what I could have got in the NRL. So that was a, probably a lot of the deciding factors. I 2015, we just had our first baby, Jayla. So a lot of my decision making was based around you know supporting the family. And I just felt like a ri- it was a risk I wasn't willing to take. Looking back now, I probably could have made that mistake because I was so young. But then I started getting to 27, 28, and I was like, it's just it's just too late. Um, so looking back now, I could have made that decision. Um, and, you know, like I don't want to regret anything, but um, I was in the height of, you know, my NRL career. I just made the Kiwis that year. 
Um, so re-signing 2015 in the NRL was just logically right for me at the time. Um, yeah, it's hard to kind of say that, you know, I wasn't chasing money, but I, I, I was. Like, it was just security for my family. Um, and that was kind of the whole deciding factor around staying in the NRL. Mm. So it was, it was hard because I always had that in the back of my mind. I said it from, you know, as soon as I signed to the Bronx, I'm going back to Union. Um, and every contract I had, it was like, oh, this is just the contract before I go back to Union. Wow. And then it kind of, yeah, I kind of just left it too late. It, happened to, it happens too fast. Yeah. Doesn't it? Um, man, that's so, so interesting. And... Um, obviously 2015 happens you sign an extension not long after the grand final Um, the Bronx the trajectory that was planned for you guys was unreal Mm. Um, I think a lot of people you talk about the decision security a lot of people are not in in NRL or professional athlete shoes in terms of having to weigh up these decisions Mm. now if you're in a normal job and you're getting an offer, we talk about loyalty in sport, but if you're getting any offer that's $100,000 or hundreds of thousands mm. of dollars more than, you know, following a different path, like, yeah, it's going to be hard to turn down, especially yeah. when you start having kids and all these things. Mm. Is, it, is it funny when you when you see people talk about loyalty and all, all this stuff? Obviously, at the moment, there's heaps of chat about the CBA and it's like... Mm you guys have no idea the money and the decisions that come with being a pro athlete. Yeah, it's, I always find it funny because there's a lot of, um, yeah, so many people just don't understand what goes on. They demand loyalty from players, but if a club gets rid of a player, there's not too much backlash around it. Um, in some circumstances, like when I had a lot of injuries at the beginning of my career, the Bronx were real loyal. They re-signed me after one of my knee reconstructions. Um did that mean a lot to you at it that did, time? Yeah, yeah, it did at the time. Um, so, you know, I always felt like I had to be loyal to them to repay them back for that. Um, but, yeah, there's just, it's like, with the turnaround of players and the the depth and, like, the professionalism that kids are learning at school, you know, there's, there's always going to be someone that's going to fill your jersey, like, tomorrow. Um, and, yeah, just showing loyalty... To, to clubs is, is, you know, like I feel like you always got to have yourself and your family first because at the flick of a hat, clubs are going to flick you just like that. So, um, yeah, in some circumstances. But, yeah, it's, it's funny when people have no clue and they get so mad at players for making decisions for themselves where if they got a pay rise at another job, they're jumping at straight away, which is, mm. yeah, it's crazy. With with those injuries that you talk about, was it three knee injuries during your career, like serious ones? I had yeah, I had two. I had three serious ones, but I had two like back to back before yeah. I'd played any NRL games. Yeah, and they and signed me after the first one, I think. And yeah, I I don't know what would have been going through your head at that time, but how important was like the support network around there, like friends, family, even even management? Was it was it tough to handle? How did you how did you get through? Oh, the first one I was real immature. I just I got caught up in the system. It was my first time being in the fir- the NRL um, squad, so I felt like I was just you know this big baller who wasn't. I hadn't played any games, so I was just I trained hard. I've always trained my ass off. I've always prided myself on 
being one of the hardest trainers. So I did that, but it's just probably my balance. You know, I was going out partying and, and doing all that kinds of things. Just wasn't doing all the little stuff right. Yeah. Um, whereas the second time around, you know, I did it all completely different. And that's probably why I had a different recovery. Um, but yeah, again, like I was just, I was lucky I had Jess there um, throughout both. It was She was probably the only support system that I had. I feel like after the second one, everyone kind of thought like it was over. Yeah. The Bronx put me in an IT position. They're like, oh, when you're training, you can go and do this IT stuff after. Felt like they thought it was over as well. Um, but yeah, I, was, I wasn't I was going to give up. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm lucky I had Jess there for, for support because we have everyone back home, but she was the only one that I had on the ground here, as well as my dad. Um, but yeah, she was, she was cr- so crucial in that support role. Um, and we talked a little bit about the challenges. Obviously, your injury list, there was a fractured jaw at a key time. Like um, mm. So many of these things were just unlucky and out of your control as well. And that's, as a professional athlete, as a footballer in the NRL, that's what you open yourself mm. up to, isn't it? Yeah. So I bet there's no regret at all about securing your family's future, mm. you know, and making those decisions because not only is the lifespan... I think the average career length is like four and a half years. Mm. You were someone who retired at 29, 30? 30, yeah. Um, you know, so you didn't have long to make that no. kind of money or make those decisions either. Yeah, and I came into this, like, I came into the era when money wasn't so good coming out of school. Um, like, I think my first contract was like 20000 or something um, for the whole year. Um, whereas kids now, you know, coming out of school, they're getting, you know, a lot bigger money. Um, so, yeah, I was kind of, you know, every year increasing, obviously. But, yeah, my focus was around, you know, supporting my family and what I can do with that money. So I wasn't on the crazy money early on. Um, it wasn't probably until 20, 2015 that was probably when I started getting some real good money. So that was obviously a huge reason and why I stayed. Yeah. I was random fact i was at the 2015 grand final oh, shit, and what I, a game uh, are you a cowboys fan not a cowboys uh, fan. Uh, football fan it was a good game right yeah. good for them <laughs> you may not want to <laughs> reflect on it yeah i was sitting like my cousin got me tickets somehow and i was sitting don't know where he stole them from but i was sitting like four rows back from when thurston had the conversion like we could have thrown that over i don't know why it's a big deal about it <laughs> We had stellar <laughs> seats. That was like one of the best grand finals yeah. of all time. Mm. How do you go from playing in front of 80,000 people, the ups and downs of sport, you'd have times like that when everyone's around you, giving you raps, you feel like you're centre of the universe, to times when you're at home alone with Jess or just alone. Um, you know, I'm sure post-career there were these moments. How do the highs and lows, like, mentally how how do you handle that because mm. i just know that being at touch tournaments like nationals on the weekend even on a small scale you're with your mates all week um you know you have a good time you're in a little bubble and then you have that post tournament depression now we're talking about people transitioning out of that's their everyday life with their friends mm. in the changing room on the weekend in the news all that and then all of a sudden cricket mm. like how do you handle that i, I don't know i yeah, I'm not too sure. I think I've always 
I know. I think I've always been so grateful about the position I was in. So no matter the crowd, no matter everything, I'd always be. It always, to me, it always felt like a dream. Like so, every time I ran out in front of so many people, it just felt so surreal for me, and I was so lucky to be there. So whenever I used to get off the field, I'd always, you know, reflect like, shit, man, like this is, mm. I could do this weekly, which is, is so cool. Like I never kind of went through any real ups and downs. I hated losing. Those were probably the um, the biggest downs I had. Like if I, and if I played shit, I'd be so hard on myself. Um, I wouldn't, like before Jayla, I wouldn't talk to Jess for a couple of days. She just she just knew like to stay away from me if we'd lost because I'd just be in the worst foul mood. Mm. Um, what about the grand fight? You're still foul. Nah, Seven years later. Yeah, man. <laughs> bad yeah. bad I mouthing just, it outside. Oh, man. I was lucky we had Jayla that year because who knows, I would have been so like mad. Yeah. Um, that was probably another thing. When I, Once I had kids, it's just like any loss – didn't seem as bad I always used to like yeah it just used to ruin my world I wouldn't want to go out in public I'd be ashamed at the supermarket even if people didn't even know who I was it just it was how I felt like I just didn't want to go out in public at all um so once I had kids it kind of really changed that um they didn't care if I won or lost they just cared if I was a dad so um yeah I didn't really have too many downs there was a few really big downs in games where I'd stuff up or something like that. Um, and then those were quite tough because it just uh, when people attack you for your playing, um, for what you did on the field, um, and they attack you as personally, like your personal traits or your family or, or how you are as a person, that really like like rattled me a bit. Yeah. Um, and, and those were quite tough times to kind of handle and navigate through. But, yeah, um, once I had kids, man, it was just like nothing really fazed me at all. Even the 2015 grand final, obviously still salty about it. But, like, it's just, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a sick game. Um, yeah, I was just lucky. I had the kids because they just, yeah, nothing really else mattered. Did you have anything that you learnt through your career dealing with like those personal like criticisms, like any strategies or anything that you developed and started using? Or I just think uh, they've, all, they've obviously got to be pretty effed up in the head to kind of say some of those things. Mm. Um, and they'd never really say it to your face. And I don't want to say this like because I'm a like I'm a tough guy, but like there's this one time this dude and I'm really good with faces and names. I've seen him; he'd sprayed me for years. And I seen him at the supermarket and I just pushed my trolley up right next to him and I just stood there and stood at him and stared at him for ages. He's like this ex military dude apparently. Cowboys fan. Yeah, I don't know, probably. <laughs> but he um he shat himself, eh? Like it's just crazy. Like they'd never say it to your face. Um yeah, I just yeah. I probably more feel sorry for them because they just got so much shit in their head that they've got to come at you. Isn't it like funny that. that disconnect? They forget that you're a real person yeah. that goes to the supermarket, eh? Yeah. Like that's why I started vlogging. So that's like how I started vlogging because I, yeah, in 2017 at the nines, I took a second longer. The buzzer went off, and I I made the field goal, but it was after the buzzer, and we missed out in the final that year. Um, so after that year, I copped so much, and I was like, why do these people like? Why do they treat me like this? Like. So that's why I started vlogging because I was like, I want to show these people I'm just a normal person um, that you know chucks boots on and a jersey on every weekend. Um, 
I feel like I, I honestly feel like after that time, there was still haters here and there, um, but after that time, they kind of weren't as personal towards me. Mm. Um, yeah, we're just like just people, man. Mm. Mm. Have you always had a passion for like the personal brand and the vlogging and all that sort of stuff? I know you do a lot of that stuff like post career, mm. but during your career or yeah, so that's when it kind of started. Twenty fifteen, I think I took a first. Um, like GoPro video when we went on tour with the Kiwis um, and that's kind of I've always been quite creative maybe that's where Jude gets it from like my creative side I always loved helping my mum doing her art projects and stuff like that I would always give her a hand um, so I, I always felt like there was that creative itch that needed to be scratched when I was playing and it maybe I did show it a little bit in my footy but um, yeah I'd always wanted you know I was always drawing um, out of footy I was always you know doing something creative um so that's kind of where that kind of flowed on from and then when I started vlogging it kind of built into a brand um and then I kind of quite early on I realized how important social media was for branding personal brand especially um and that's when I kind of went you know kind of all in and, and just started doing that stuff um quite early on I think I would have been yeah one of the f- the very first people to kind of start doing that stuff and when I started doing that it was so frowned upon like so many of the older boys would give me shit Wayne threatened me with a $2,000 fine like wow for, for vlogging just like it's crazy now that he did the stand bloody documentary he wouldn't even let me vlog like <laughs> bro come on wouldn't even let me vlog but does this whole stand documentary <laughs> but um yeah it was so frowned upon um and I just kept doing it I just I was like fuck it who cares I did obviously not as much as I'd like to because I was worried about the shit a cop in the changing rooms. But those, you know, the same boys that would give me shit like six months later down the track that asked me how to use a camera and shit like that. So I just kept doing it. I just, I loved it. Um, I loved creating. And yeah, that's kind of how I found my love for photography, videography. That's that's so cool. I think you're a real groundbreaker there because now you see Chad Townsend. Kalen mm. Ponga, obviously, all these guys have started to explore that space so much more. YKTR wasn't really around then, mm. you know. Um, so well done on that. I think the other real interesting thing is um, how formal and corporate the brand of the NRL was then. Yeah. Whereas now, I think um, the product is only improving. They're getting better at telling the people's stories, yeah. you know, and that you guys are real people it's mm. like i don't know the brand overall has really benefited from guys like you that started mm. it yeah i think they just they really appreciate players being themselves now and they don't want the typical answers and they just um would rather the players say what they feel and i feel like they kind of there was a little like gray area point where they were kind of you know telling players off for doing that and then now they just you know whatever gems a player will spit out at the end of yeah. a game they just they love. Mm. What you would you go to? Mine post match interview. Oh, bro, you know the the usual game of two halves. <laughs> um, Laid the platform. Yeah, you know the the Fords really you know went hard through the middle and our us backs just you know done what we could off the back of that. Yeah, I really love where the game's going with that, with all the personalities. You see, like, people like Brandon Smith and yeah. like Pap and all that, they they must do all the vlogging in that as well. It's, yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's so good. It's so good to see because it's just, like, people being themselves. I feel like what we were speaking about before, it personalises them and breaks down those walls and, and shows them that they're actually people and not just these, you know, 
robots that you know play footy and that led beautifully into a um post footy career career for you the transition into um not being a professional athlete i know i i imagine it hasn't always been easy Mm. um but obviously chur media you have your fitness gym i don't know what do you call it in (laughs) Um, establishment I'd love you to talk about S30 mm-hmm. um, Mermaid Beach um, how was that transition uh, how did you um, mentally let go of the dream of being a professional athlete and the identity that is so easy to be attached mm. to that how people know you um, and then obviously picking up work post career to look after your family yeah it was it was tough man I'm not gonna lie um, we had some savings which we were so lucky to have at the begin like at the end of my career. Um, so we did have that that was slowly ticking away, keeping us you know ticking and fed um, for a matter of time. Um, and then there was a point I was just like I've I've got to do something. Um, and I'd love photography and videography, and I was lucky enough that. Um, one brand in Brizzy, a uh, style media, they asked me to come for a meeting and they were like, oh, what are you doing now? They thought I was still playing um, and they just wanted me to do content for them while I was playing and I said, oh, I'm not playing anymore. So they just started sending me a whole bunch of work. So I'm so grateful for them. Um, I still work with them today. Um, but yeah, it was just a point where I just had to, you know, make do, like I had to make actions um, and just, get stuff done because I wasn't getting paid from anywhere mm-hmm. so I had to and that was something that I'm glad I didn't just jump into a footy contract for just for the sake of money um, and yeah I've just been so lucky that you know brands have just continuously wanted to work with me I had my social media stuff um, and yeah I just I'm like looking back now from where I've come from to have been able to work with some of the companies that I've worked with is is pretty crazy I'm just I'm so grateful for literally every job or every couple that books me for their weddings and stuff like that now, um, uh, and and we did go through that you know that lockdown and that was another tough time that I had to readjust again, um, but yeah I just I don't know I think I'm just so stubborn and I'm so dedicated and driven I'm willing to sacrifice so much, willing to sacrifice sleep food and everything whatever it will take to feed my family. And I'm lucky that I've got that drive. Um, but yeah, Chair Media is obviously at a point now where, you know, it's bu- building a consistent income for my family, which is awesome. Um, and then, yeah, in 2020, I think 2020 or 2021, I was meant to open S30 in Brisbane and that kind of fell through, which was disappointing. Um, and then another investor jumped on board and that's when we found the Gold Coast one and yeah, it's just it's just something that I've always kind of wanted to do. Um, it has taken a lot of work that I thought I wouldn't have to do. I thought it was just going to be something on the side that I attach my name to and it just you know tick away. Um, but it's definitely not that. It's you know something that I love being a part of the community, um, and we're just so lucky to have you know some some people that have come through the doors that have built such a cool community themselves. Like we haven't did, had to do too much. They've just loved it so much that they know created that community and yeah it's 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 awesome it's um yeah with the last two years three years since i've finished 
I didn't think that it would get to this point. Um, I'm just so lucky I stuck to my guns and stayed strong and stayed doing what I love. Um, I feel like I've been really lucky where I've been able to play as a footy player for 10, 10 or so years with something I love and then dive or fall into something that I love already as well. Um, not many people can say that they do that, um, but that's, you know, credit to me just, you know, not wanting to give up. Um, and, yeah, it's just, yeah, I'm just so grateful for everything. It's still a battle and everything is so hard all the time, but it's, um, yeah, I'm just so grateful for everything I have. Yeah, and I I love, I know how hard you work behind the scenes. I You've told me how early you get up for the 5am gym class and then how late you're working with Chur Media stuff. Um, so it's a credit to you, man. You deserve everything um, that's going on. We wish Thanks, you nothing um, but the best success. It's just a couple of last things I'd love to touch on. You've mm-hmm. mentioned gratitude quite a few times yep. during your career, post-career. Um, it sounds like that's so important just for our mental health, mm-hmm. for our happiness to make sure that we're grateful for just such little things, not just playing in front of 80,000 mm. people, but, you know, the fact that we can hear this podcast or yeah. see each other, like, very minor things. Gratitude is important. How do you? How did you balance that? How did it develop your you being grateful for things with the ego of, like, every young person has an ego as we're, we're a young man, let alone the money and the... Um, opportunities and the attention that you get as a young footballer where where were you kind of able to balance those sort of different spectrums of um, um, view yeah that's a hard one I think uh, obviously there's banter between boys and stuff like that you'd always throw your you know um, achievements you know f- with the boys so some of my mates would be like fuck he's not humble like but that's the only things I'd say to my mates like just talking shit um but yeah, I don't. I don't actually know. I just think losing everything, like through each injury and being at the bottom, that's kind of when you are taught to appreciate the things you had. And because I was injured so fucking much, um, I'd, I'd lose. You know, being in the squad, I'd lose. You know, test matches that I wouldn't get played in, um, and losing those things. I think that's why I'm so grateful for everything I have. And even in business, when we had those lockdowns and I couldn't work at all, you know, I was battling for money. I didn't know wh- what I was going to do. Um, that that has made me grateful for every opportunity that I have now. And I think it's hard because it's not until you lose something that you're grateful for what you have. And you obviously don't wish that upon everyone. And I feel like people hang on to things for so long um, just because they're so worried about losing it. But it in the end, it could teach you a real valuable lesson around gratitude. Um, and I think that's kind of where I found the balance and, and found that gratitude is by losing things so many times. And um, that's where I've, where I've found it, I think. That's amazing. I think you, you've had every opportunity to um, suck about some stuff, challenges outside of your control yeah. that have gone on during your career. So it's, it's fantastic to have um, that perspective and like mm. I said, such good life lessons for anyone involved or in sport yeah. or not. Um, the last thing, uh, touching on being a young guy, coming through the pathway, the ego and stuff like that, tying that into um, management and what, what we do, working with young athletes coming through the pathway, um, 
what would be your advice when it comes to, and this isn't even a plug for us, it's just um, sports management agents get a really bad rap mm. and there has been a, um, you know, you see plenty of stuff in the media um, talking down on them. Um, recently the podcast with Artie Sevilla and, and Ice on YKTR, once again, they were, they were talking about it. Um, which for me and our company and what we want to do, I see that as an opportunity mm. and that's it. that excites me that people talk down on it because it's like, oh, I think there's a better way that we can do it naturally. Mm. Um, what would be your advice in terms of you coming through the pathway, who you choose to have around you, including the management stuff? I think uh, a lot of the young players, they've got to be real careful with just jumping on board with any agent. I think that's um, like something that, you know, any little kid, they just want an agent. They're like, they just want an agent, so they go around school and flex. And they kind of think they've made it. Yeah, if, if an agent yeah, approaches bro. them, out. Mm. yeah. So that, that's where a lot of the, a lot of them fall into the trap. They sign up with these agents just for the sake of flexing at school, which isn't the, you know, which is, shouldn't be why you do that in the first place. Um, so that'll be the first kind of piece of advice. The second piece of advice is to be fully transparent with your agent um, and get them to be transparent with you as well. Um, make sure they know exactly what you want as a player, exactly, you, you know, have a look over your next 10 years. Where do you want to be? Where do you want to be at the end of those 10 years and work your way back from that? And make sure your agent knows that. So that's something that I wish I'd done in the beginning um, where I said before I wish I had – a plan so I was always going to go to union at this point um, and making sure that they're transparent with you they know that you know that they're looking at the best interest for you and not you know moving a chessboard so you know players are going here there and everywhere you don't actually know if they're doing the right thing for you it's a it's a funny thing um, I feel like agents you know it's hard they obviously have got you know, sometimes they get too many people and it gets too overwhelming that they get to a point where they're trying to move people around. Um, I just I just wish there was more transparency in the industry and I feel I feel like there's gotta I don't know, there's gotta be something that's enforced by the NRL where agents can't manage coaches as well as players. Mm. I feel like that's just a real funny mix. You never so you never know. If there's a coach at a club and you're going to that club, you never know if it's for your, you, if it's for the coach or, or whatnot. Contradicts all of like the sports morals, right? Yeah. I just I, I don't understand how that's not a thing already. Um, yeah, if you're a young player, those are, those are probably the best advice I could get. Make sure... You're not doing it just for a flex at the beginning. Making sure you've got a plan and your agent knows that plan. You're transparent with them. Because um, they do help, especially when times go bad. If you get in a bit of trouble, the first person that's going to help you is, is that agent. Um, so making sure someone that's going to stand by you, by you through those times as well. You need someone that's going to stick up for you and have your back no matter what. Um, so yeah, that's probably... I, I've had a... yeah different kind of experience I, I signed up with that agent I reckon I signed my first agent just because of that reason I wanted to flex that I had an agent um, but he ended up being you know really good but I left him for another agent who I knew had more contacts and could get me more money 
Um, and then eventually that got to a point where I had to leave that agent because I just didn't want to be attached to his name anymore. So, yeah, it's it's a it's a crazy world. Um, but you have to be, yeah, you have to make sure that you're choosing wisely. Make sure you speak to your parents or maybe other coaches or someone who's got a little bit of an experience around agents, so they can give you the right kind of background into each person. And clearly not a decision you have to rush either, hey? No, no way. Yeah. Especially when you're young. It's like no rush at all. Clubs will come knocking. If you're good enough, they'll come knocking no matter if you have an agent or not. Yeah. Mm. Thanks, JK. You just put us out of a job. So uh, cheers <laughs> for that. Uh, <laughs> Choose wisely. Yeah. Point. yeah. They need to sign the deal. Choose wisely. 100%. Mm. No, once again, I think there's such good advice for us as young um, management coming through. Mm. Um, so just can I offer one more? Yeah. Um, maybe just agents um, giving more to their players, like offering more financial advice, um, you know, marketing advice for their personal brand, just having other little things that they can give to players is going to be so helpful to the player instead of just negotiating a contract every 12 24 months i feel like those other things having making sure all the players accounts are in, in check they're not handling them obviously because we know what's happened in the past but <laughs> um yeah i think I feel like those are some other services that they could start offering yeah because it's it's bizarre to me having not had an agent or going through the professional pathway that a lot of athletes only hear from their agents at contract time, mm. eh? And yeah. then you may not hear anything. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. There's obviously the the checkup every now and then, but I feel like that's just a ticker box. It's not yeah. really to... Well, I could, like, as an age, as an accredited agent, you have to check, um, check up with them a certain amount of time. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So that would probably just tick that box. Yeah, that's actually... That's probably why, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um... JK, we've talked longer than what I expected, but it's such a um, special story. Um, Geordie and I are grateful for you and your family and, and what you contribute to Gold Coast Touch. Um, such big fans of you and, and stoked that we've become friends. Um, love what you're doing at S30 and, yeah, we benefit by training and being a part of that community now, um, my ruined me this morning. Oh my! God. Oh yeah, I'm cooked. I almost <laughs> fainted. Uh, it's good. It's fun though. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, my my family, Olivia Koenig, one of the girls, Jillaroo girls that we um, we help. She's been coming, and all our friends um, love love it. Love what you're doing. I think it's an extension of who you are as a person. It fits really well. That brand and that company fit really well with mm. who you are. Um, we've even talked about expansion so uh, <laughs> down south. So we'll talk to Ooh. you about that. <laughs> it's just the community vibe, hey. Like, mm. I don't know, even those Saturday mornings, yeah. just rocking up and everyone's happy to be there and, yeah, yeah. just getting to converse. Yeah, it's awesome. Mm. It's awesome. Well, so kudos to you, bro. Thank you for your time. Super grateful um, to have you here and excited to watch um, the rest of your journey as well. Thanks for having me, lads. Keep the pink. Hey, no, nah, it's <laughs> going tonight. Streaming is blonde, eh? So yeah. you've got different colours for different purposes? Uh, only when I, like, call, so Call of Duty. When I do work with Call of Duty, I yeah. usually go blonde because the profile pic they got is blonde. Yeah, me. Mm. Yeah. You're awesome, bro. Your next tipple, blonde. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, lads.